Nehemiah chapter 12 this morning. We are going to go through Nehemiah 12 and 13 today. We're going to finish up the book of Nehemiah, but hopefully you've been uh, getting something from this chapter or the, uh, this book. And remember, this is a historical book, so it's kind of just, uh, it's, it's interesting just the way it's just kind of given us the facts of what's going on. But as far as the right and wrong, um, for us to really understand, you know, what they did right, what they did wrong, we do kind of have to go to other scriptures. We do kind of have to look at results. And so it's one of those things that can be a little confusing. Now, we're not going to take time to read through all the names again, but, um, in chapter 12, uh, what we're seeing here is we're seeing a bunch more names being mentioned. And one, another one of those difficult passages. And we've been seeing this a lot, but it's doing that for a reason. This is a record of the people who got behind these things, who committed to these things, who had uh, agreed to this covenant that they had made with God, that they were going to do all these things. And these things mattered. So all these names that are on here too, another way you can look at that to kind of help us understand the importance of it um, even today in America, one of the things that we still talk about are the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And so as a nation, we do, we are expected and there is an expectation for us to follow what our founding fathers set up as a nation. When uh, it, it is a very uh, sacred thing and a special thing when a nation gets started, that they, uh, when they have these constitutions, when they... Um, make these vows and things there, you know, God expects people to follow those things. We see in Jeremiah how God commended uh, the Rechabites who the son of Jonadab, who uh, for generations, they had been following the commands of their fathers who told them to dwell in tents, not to drink any wine. And God used them as an illustration to Israel. You should be like these people. They are listening to their fathers where Israel was not listening to their fathers. They were not listening to Abraham and Isaac and Israel. And so, as so God was very upset with them. So, when Israel is coming together, when they are restored back into the land, and then all these people are agreeing and saying, we are going to follow the Lord. This time we are going to obey the law. And it's giving their names. It's kind of the same thing as like on our Declaration of Independence. And so, what these men were agreeing to uh, and these were things they were going to command their children and their children after them. And they were fully expected by God to do the things that their fathers had committed to. And so keep all of that in mind. And also, you know, when you're, so when you're reading these things too, historically, when you're, re, when you're doing your Bible reading, it's, it's good to kind of make a mental note as you're reading this. What was the result? You know, what did Jesus find 400 years later when he came and he visited them? And you know what? It's not what they had agreed to. And that's one of the reasons they got in a lot of trouble with God. But let's start reading in verse 26 after it gives the names. It says, these were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. So, this right here helps us with the timeline a little because it tells us it was in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua. Now, Jeshua, the son of Josedach, he was the high priest. He's mentioned a lot in Ezra. Ezra's still walking around. Ezra's still, he's probably getting pretty old at this point. But in reality, 
enough years have passed where we're kind of in the next generation after the captivity. You know, they did not just turn all these things back on overnight concerning the priesthood, the things of the law, the sacrifices. It took a good generation. But but we're now kind of into the next generation. And, uh, you know, it's taken a long time for them to get their act back together and to restore things to the way they were before. We've been seeing them implement more things in the law. We've seen them bring back the Feast of Tabernacles, which hadn't been done since the days of Joshua. We see that they commanded everyone to keep the Sabbath year. So, understand, when Israel has got together and they've read the law to everyone, they've all seen exactly what the law says, and they have all gotten together and they said, we are going to do this. We're committing to it. We're signing our name to these things. And so, we're about to find out if they got it done. We're about to find out. And and I believe that they made these choices with all sincerity. I believe that they agreed to follow God's law to the best of their ability. And I've talked about this before. This was an example of people repenting of their sins in the way that many people teach that we should. Meaning, you've got to be willing to turn from all your sins. Well, they were willing to turn from all their sins. They were willing to obey all the things that God had commanded them. But, we're going to find out if they got it done. But Read verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. And so, these building projects, they would take years to accomplish. So, it was always a big deal. There was always a big celebration. They would always have big dedications when these things were done. Because they were, it was, you know, imagine being in a building project that took like 20 years or something. You're gonna, it's gonna be an exciting day when it's all done. And so, uh, that's kind of where we're at now. And so it says, the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country around about Jerusalem and from the villages of, uh, and from the house of Gilgal and out of the fields of Geba, Asmaveth, for the singers had built them villages round about Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall, and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate. And after them went Hoshaiah and half of the princes of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests, sons with trumpets, namely Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph, and his brethren Shemiah and Azrael, uh, Malalai, Gilelai, Mai, Nethaniel, and Judah, Hanani, and the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe before them. And notice how it mentions the musical instruments of David. One of the things, too, that's very interesting about the temple is the vessels were holy, they were precious, they were sacred. These vessels were all taken away. I mean, many years before when Nebuchadnezzar came and took over, we see 70 years later, we've got, uh, his name escapes me, Belshazzar. There ha- he's having his drunken feast where they're using these things. But now all of these artifacts, these instruments being restored to the land, being used again, that's a really big deal. And, and just, just think about this for a minute. Because 
again, and I don't believe we should do this, but under the old covenant, the vessels were a really big thing. Imagine how we, and how it would be if like I told you, you know, if our church, let's say our church goes another 300 years and we did, and this pulpit was like the pulpit that had been used for 300 years. You know, and it would, it would be, it, this pulpit would become very special. Like this pulpit goes all the way back to back when Pastor Tommy McMurtry was the pastor of this church. And it actually goes back even farther than that, back to Lighthouse Baptist Church, where his father pastored. You know, and it just kind of became like this sacred item. I don't think we ought to do that, but at the same time, it would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? And then what if the instruments too? We used all the same instruments. And like 300 years later, you know, we have like one of Aaron's descendants. And it's like, this is, this is the tuba that the original tuba player played. You know, this is the tuba of Aaron. You know, and, and it would be like a special thing. It's like, you know, and it would be like a privilege. And then somebody who's skilled enough, he gets to take the place of lead tuba player, gets to use the ancient tuba of Aaron. Maybe we should start something like that. I don't know. But I, we, the problem is, too, in our culture, we don't make anything to last anymore. All, all our stuff we make these days is junk and doesn't last more than a generation anyway. But that's kind of how these things were back then. So this is, this, while we read this stuff, it's easy to just kind of read over it and think nothing of it. But it was kind of a big deal that these things are being brought back. And so, um, verse 37 says, and at the fountain gate, which was over against them, they went up by the stairs of the city of David at the going up of the wall about the house of David, even unto the water gate eastward. And the other company of them that gave thanks went over against them and after them half of the people upon the wall from beyond the tower of the furnaces, even unto the broad wall. And from above the gate of Ephraim and above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananiel, the tower of Mia, even unto the sheep gate. And they stood still in the prison gate. So stood the two companies of them they gave thanks in the house of God, and I and half of the rulers with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamen, Micaiah, Elionani, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemiah, Eliezer, Uzziah, and Jehohanan, Melchijah, and Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang loud with Jezreiah, their overseer. And that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. So this was a very historical moment. And, and the reality is all of the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah are Israel working through major opposition to get to this point right here where the work of the restoring of the buildings are done. The temple has been rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. The, all the instruments are restored. The priest's house had been built. Israel is ready to go back to work. Israel is ready to start keeping the law and to wait and prepare for the Messiah. And so this is an exciting day. And so, uh, and so uh, verse 44 says, And at that time were some appointed over the chambers for the treasures, for the offerings, for the first fruits, and for the tithes, to gather them in, uh, them out of the fields of the cities and the portion of the law for the priests and Levites for Judah rejoice for the priests and for the Levites that waited and both the singers and the porters kept the word of their God and the word of the purification according to the commandment of David and of Solomon his son from the days of Asaph or from the days of David and Asaph 
of old, there were chief of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the portion of the singers and the porters every day his portion. And they sanctified the holy things unto the Levites and the Levites sanctified them unto the children of Aaron. And so notice too, it mentions them bringing back the singers. It mentions David and Asaph. You know what they did? They brought back the Psalms. Hey men, they brought back the soul-stirring songs and hymns is what they did right there. They went back to the old paths. They threw out the contemporary music and they went back to the old stuff. Like old time, give me that old time religion. Amen. And you all know I'm joking a little bit, but they, they did restore the Psalms they were, that they used to sing, that they were supposed to be singing. So all of this is significant because under that old covenant system, these items of the temple were a really big deal. The priests were a really big deal. The singers, all these things, they finally got all of these things back in place. And we've got the genealogies. God has preserved the people that even though it had been basically two generations that have passed, they, you know, God uh, protected them, preserved them, and they are back. They've proved their lineage. They've proved their genealogies. And again, a lot of this is foreign to us because we don't have a system like this. But they did then, and all of these details, while it can be difficult reading, all of these things mattered. And it definitely mattered to God. And this is why today, we especially should reject any teaching about bloodlines, about ethnicity. Just Because one, first off, the New Testament tells us to. That's one good reason. You know, we do have certain things that the New Testament says, you don't need this anymore. Okay? And, and I had one of these people, I think it was just this week too, who understands that we are not under the Old Covenant, who you know was rebuking me because of the fact we still have church and pastors and things like that. But it's like, um, the book of Hebrews, while it tells us a lot of things are done, one of the things that very specifically told the people to not forsake was the assembling. That was very, That is very explicitly stated in Hebrews don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In fact, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, the assemblies are something that continued into the new covenant. And I, I strongly believe we ought to do that. But bloodlines doesn't matter. And not even just because the New Testament tell, tells us to ignore them, but also because theoretically, if it were still to be a thing, there would have to be a record. We'd have to have a record for it to count. If we don't have a record, then it doesn't count. And you know what? We don't have a record. So the fact that people are even giving any type of credibility to this, the fact that people will look into the Scriptures and say there's something special for a bloodline when we don't have any record of their bloodline is absolutely foreign to the Scriptures. And so we must never forget that much of the books of Moses are genealogies. And they are there for a reason. The book of Joshua is not just stories, but it's the legal record for how the land was divided up. We covered all that when we went through the book of Joshua. It's showing this tribe gets this section. And it outlines all these things. Because these things mattered under that old covenant system. And so while it can be really boring reading for, for us sometimes, these things mattered. They were a part of the law and all those records, they did, they, they mattered. And we must never for, so the book of, um, so books like 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 
they also have a pur- they all served a purpose because they were looking for things to be fulfilled with certain lines and there were prophecies to be fulfilled with the people and there was an inheritance that they wanted to be able to claim so we have these books in the bible for a reason they definitely mattered especially back then and we can definitely learn from them today but let's look at something else too though that they did on the day of dedication so now look at chapter 13 in verse 1 because i think chapter 13 is probably the most interesting chapter of all nehemiah or at least the most fun to read but it says, and on that day, they read in the book of Moses and the audience of the people, and therein was found written, the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Okay? Now, this is why they kept referring to, to the genealogies. They were trying to get things right. And so, all, you know, that's going to be very hard for the mixed people to do. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out here and admit it. I am not 100% sure what they did here was right. Based on Ezekiel. There are some things that are mentioned in Ezekiel. Some things that are mentioned in Isaiah. I do believe that the prophets basically told them some things that they were to reform. There were some changes that were given to the priest and to the, to these different things. And I think the proof that what they did here was wrong, and I claim that when we were in Ezra too, when they wouldn't let those people help them, I personally think that was wrong based on the prophecies of Ezekiel and the instructions they give. I believe that when God restored them to the land, it, while it wasn't as clear as it is in the New Testament, I think it was pretty clear, but I believe God wanted them to start including others. Now, they would have to be circumcised. They would have to live in that nation. But God gave a clear path to citizenship, you could say. Okay? There was a way to become a part of Israel. And so, what I personally think they did here, I think they went back too far and then they got a little overzealous about with some things. And I personally think it was wrong. Uh, just like I think, I, I personally think the mass divorces that they did in the, uh, in the book of Ezra, I don't think God was necessarily pleased with that. Okay. But, uh, if somebody wants to argue with me about that, I'm probably not going to get real mad at him for it. But I, I personally don't think they should have done this. And so I think they did it great. Well, you know what? this did not result in them following through with their vows. Because look at how it was in the days of Christ. It was, In fact, we're going to see how it was in this day. Things still weren't that good. So anyway, verse 4. And before this, and, and again, I don't think what happened here was necessarily right in how these multitudes got mixed. But I believe there was a path to restoration and I don't think they took it in here. But uh, I'm not saying these people hadn't done anything wrong. But sometimes when people do things wrong, you can't undo the wrong. It's what do you do going forward? And I don't believe they necessarily made the right choices here. But it says, and before this, Elisha the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Remember Tobiah from Ezra? He was working against them, big time. And he had prepared for him a great chamber 
where aforetime they laid the meat offerings with the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem for the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days I obtained leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing a chamber in the courts of the house of God. So the courts in the house of God, that was for the Levites. And what does this priest do? He makes a chamber for Tobiah the Ammonite. An Ammonite's not supposed to go into the house of God. And Tobiah was not somebody who was wanting to convert to Judaism. He was somebody who was an enemy of Israel. He was somebody that was standing against them when they were building these walls. So there's no doubt this was bad. This was definitely a bad thing that he did. And so verse 8, And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. He does an eviction on this guy. He throws it all out. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God and the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portion of the Levites had not been given them for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. Now, in the earlier chapters, we see them taking up all these offerings, which was good. They're like, because you know what? We've got to take care of the Levites. We are supposed, it's, it's commanded in the law to not forsake the Levite. They don't have an inheritance in the land. The Lord is their inheritance. And so they are to live of the things of the temple. So it was the job of all the other tribes to provide for them. But you know what? While they've been taking up an offering, somebody was acting like the government and it wasn't going to the people that it was supposed to be going to. And the Levites, they had to go out and work the fields. This was a bad, this was a very bad thing. So again, we see Israel coming together and committing and passing bills, you can say, saying, we're going to follow the law. Passing bills saying, we're going to give proper funding to the, you know, to the proper people, like the Bible says. But then when it came to the implementation of these things, they weren't getting it done. And so Nehemiah, when he comes and he checks, he's upset. This is not how things were supposed to be. And so, um, what we're seeing here is while the nation as a whole swore to follow all the law to get things right this time, they still weren't getting things right. And this is how it goes for everyone who tries repenting of all their sins. Okay? I think everybody should try repenting of all their sins. But this is why it's foolish to do it for your salvation. Because you will never successfully repent of all your sins. And on your best day, it's not good enough to be in the presence of a holy God. And this is why we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Absolutely. And then what we do is we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We try to walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. But because your flesh is so sinful, no matter how much you try to will yourself to never sin again, you're going to fail because your flesh is just rotten to the core. The Spirit, that is what's born of God. That's what doesn't sin. And we have to daily crucify this flesh. We daily have to die to this flesh. And we've got to put on the new man. Daily, every day we have to do this 
So you just deciding one day to sincerely, man, that's it. I am never going to sin again. That's going to make you feel real good and you make that decision. But you're going to have to make that decision again tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that because uh, it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. And so Israel, I think they did. I think they, with all sincerity, they made these vows, but they didn't get it done. This is more evidence that they needed Christ. When Jesus Christ came to earth and he is, and what we're seeing in the book of Matthew, when he preaches that sermon on the mount, when he's giving them the parables, when he's preaching all these things, when he's calling them out for all their sins, they should have just said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, like the publican did. That's what they should have done. But what did they do? They, they got all self-righteous and act like, oh, we're, we're keeping the law. We're following our traditions. No, they weren't. They weren't even close. So verse 11, And I, then I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place, then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil under the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries, Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites and Pedaiah. And next to him was Hanan the son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, for they were counted faithful and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. This is what they need to do in our government with people that are wasting the tax money and not sending it where it's supposed to. They need to get faithful people to be stewards over those things. And so that's what he did because whoever was in charge of the money before was not handling it properly. He says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. In those days saw I in Judah some treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, and also wines, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens. And they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. So already, already they're right back to working on the Sabbath days. They committed to not do this. They committed to following the Sabbath. And I think they meant it. And I'll bet for a week or two, or a month, or a year, they might have even followed this. But then one day... They got behind. Somebody got behind on their work. And he started working on the Sabbath. And nobody did anything about it. And then other people started doing it. And before you know it, they're working on the Sabbath and nobody thinks anything of it. They had their camp meeting. At their camp meeting, they repented of all their sins. But you know what? They're already back to doing those sins. What's the solution? Another camp meeting? <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have mattered. So it says in verse 16, then there dwelt, there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do? And profane the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers thus? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And think about all the trouble they went through. The devastation of the Babylonian captivity and the destruction that came from them. And then all these years pass. They go through all this work to restore these things. And then what are they doing? They're right back to profaning the Sabbath. And he's like, do you not remember how much trouble we got into? Why? What is wrong with you? Have you ever done that where you just, I mean, you punished your kids big time for doing something. And then just the next day, they're right back. It's like, do you not remember? Was that a pleasant experience or something that you want to go through this again? And that's kind of how he feels about Israel. Verse 19, And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut 
and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. I mean, these stinking merchants, these salesmen, these Jews trying to get people's money. First off, when they're, when they're stopped on the Sabbath, they couldn't take that day off. But then, whenever they get stopped, what are they doing? They're just, they're, they're hovering. They're hanging out right outside the city. Hey, somebody want to come out and we're going to sell this stuff? But then he says, then I testified against them and said to them, why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth, they came no more on the Sabbath. It's like, I, I'm going to get physical with you. You know what? I personally think Nehemiah's response was righteous here. I, I think, I think he had the right answer. You know what? So I don't think he should have laid hands on him. Well, you know what? I think sometimes we probably shouldn't lay hands on people, but we ought to want to sometimes. <laughs> you know, there are some things, you know, like I, I don't think we ought to just go, like if, you know, if you run into Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't think you ought to beat him up. I think you should want to go tackle him or something, but I, I don't think you should. But you ought to feel like it. You know, there's just, some, when you see certain sins and, and evil going on, it ought to stir something up in you. It, it ought, and, and, you know, and if somebody's got to hold you back, you know, that's probably a good thing, you know, and be thankful they're there to hold you back. And so I, I'm amazed at all the evil that goes on that people are just so passive about and just don't care. And, and I, I don't think that's a good attitude. But verse 19, it came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be open until after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said to them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hand... Oh, I already read that part. Sorry about that. Verse 22, And I command the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. And so even though Nehemiah's heart was right, he just he couldn't succeed in getting the people's heart right. And that was the problem Israel always had. They always had an uncircumcised heart. That, that was always the problem. And nothing has changed. Even after all this captivity, all this judgment, their hearts have not been changed. And it says, In those days also saw I the Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and of Ammon and of Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause the sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? So now he's just had too much, and he does. He starts cursing them. He starts smiting them, hitting them. And I cannot read this passage without thinking of another Jew ripping off the hair of another Jew. And that's Mo ripping out the hair of Larry and the Three Stooges all the time. And I just, and that, that's what I picture. I, I picture Nehemiah going full Mo Howard 
hitting people, conking them on the head, ripping their hair out, <laughs> calling them lame brain and all those things that he would, he would call people. And, um, you know, it, I, I think I, I personally believe that Mo Howard was a direct descendant of Nehemiah. Uh, <laughs> and, and basically, um, you know, he was, he was the one just trying to deal with all the wickedness of the other Jews. But anyway, that's my carnal mind thinking right there. But I, I love that story. I do not believe we should go around smiting people that aren't obeying God and ripping out their hair and cursing them and stuff like that. But sometimes we ought to want to. <laughs> sometimes you ought to want to. But we do. We need more men in this country to just get fired up about the wickedness going on in this country. It says, One of the sons of Joiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. He went after that guy. And... and uh, and again, Sand, remember, Sanballat and Tobiah, those were the big guys working against them in the book of Ezra. And then the high priest is working with Tobiah, making a chamber for him. And then he's got a son-in-law to Sanballat. What in the world? And so he did. He went after them. They had no business being such good friends with these guys. So it says, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood in the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priest and the Levites, every one his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed, and for the first fruits, remember me, oh my God, for good. And so one must never forget, when studying the Bible, that in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see two men lead their nations to great revivals that in reality were nothing more than big movements in the right direction that ultimately ended in epic failure. So just watch out when people are preaching revival from Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember that it was a very temporary thing. In reality, it's not really a revival if everybody only gets hyped up and then they don't follow through on anything. And that's what we have going on in America today. We have revivals going all over America where they're nothing more than temporary hype and that don't really change anything. And, and that's, not, that's not what we want. And so, uh, all these things we see here, they're not, really, they're not recipes for revival, but they are evidence of why we need Jesus. That's, that's what we ought to get from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So hopefully those were a blessing to you. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you for these books. We thank you for lessons. I pray we will learn these lessons. Help us, Lord, to rely on you, not our reformation and what we can do. And I pray you help us to be uh, successful and you'll do great things through this church and the individuals in it. And pray you bless the service of the